0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Creation, I now invite you to open God's Word. We'll read together from the Gospel according to John, chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, you it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The text for this sermon this afternoon is from the book of First John, chapter 3. The verses 11 through 18. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just prior to the passage that we just read, John writes a very curious statement. He writes in verse 7, Dear children, let not anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, Just as he is righteous, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. Verse 7 and 8. He who does what is right is righteous, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. He said, don't let anyone lead you astray about that. When you think about that, 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 it's a bit curious that he would have to say that. Isn't it obvious that he who does what is right is righteous, whereas sin, we know, is from the devil? How is it that someone could be confused about that or need to be reminded about that. Now, we don't know precisely the the group of Christians to whom this letter was written, but as you read through the letter, you get a sense of the things that they were dealing with uh, in that church group. Somehow, the group of Christians was confused. A set of ideas had come into the church. There were teachers who were actively trying to lead them astray. And although they referred to themselves as Christians, they denied that Jesus was the Christ. John says in 2.22, who is a liar? It is a man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. They denied that Jesus had come into the flesh. John 4, or 1 John 4 verse 2, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Now, reading this, many scholars believe that what we find in 1 John is a, an early form of a philosophical system called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, among other things, held that, that physical things were inherently weak or sinful and that, that spiritual things were good. So, therefore, to them it wouldn't make sense for the Lord Jesus... To take on a physical body as he did. There also was groups who were taught that salvation didn't come from repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, but salvation actually came through this, this esoteric knowledge that a person could achieve. So they claimed that they had insight into things that no one else did. This was a widespread philosophical system in the ancient world. It seems like in first John these super-Christians began to make others feel inferior, feel threatened, question question their own salvation, question whether they themselves were good enough. So the Apostle John is by now an old man, likely. And he writes this letter in a very clear, matter-of-fact way. He writes in a clear way opposing the false teaching. He says, who is a liar? It is a man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. So he very firmly, explicitly denies the false teaching then in the text that we have before us this afternoon, he also gives the Christians what you might call a litmus test. Now, maybe you remember from high school what a litmus test is. In a litmus test, you have two solutions, two clear solutions, an acid and a base. And with a litmus test, you, you put a, a piece of litmus material in it that will turn red in acidic solutions and blue In Ackline Solutions, John gives them what you might call a litmus test of love. He says, this is a message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is what a a Christian looks like. A Christian loves one one another. The Lord works in your hearts to love each other. And John gives them this test, well, first to expose the false teachers. And second, he also reassures the church themselves by pointing to them what the Lord is doing in their hearts. And finally, he stimulates them to further acts of love for one another. So this afternoon, I summarize God's word for you with this theme, the litmus test of love. And we'll see how this test exposes the devil's work, how it points us to Christ's work, and finally how it stimulates sincere work. The Apostle John goes back to basics It says this is something you know. This isn't complicated. This is a message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. If there's no love, there's no faith. There's no life in the Spirit. There's no Christian. To show that, he gives an example from the Old Testament, the example of Cain. You remember how Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel? And how Cain and Abel, as brothers, both presented offerings to the Lord. Cain's offering was not accepted, but Abel's was. Cain became very angry, very envious of his brother Abel. And once, while they were alone, they fought, and Cain killed his brother Abel. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So the litmus test applied to Cain immediately turns red. Here is a a very clear example of a lack of love. The greatest crime that a man could commit against another man to take away his most precious possession, to take away his life. A very obvious idea, we would say, where there's no love, no love at all. But then John proceeds to say that when it comes to this test of love, there are really only two options. There's there's no neutral. There's only two options. Either someone loves or someone hates. Cain, you could say, is a very extreme, obvious example of hatred. But John says a person who doesn't love his brother actually hates him. And remains in spiritual death. He says anyone who does not love remains in death. The paper turns red or blue. There's, there's no, no middle ground. There's strong acids and weak acids or strong bases and weak bases, but it's either one or the other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So the difference between disliking a person, between not wanting to get along with a person, not at all being interested in another's well-being, the difference between that and murder, John says, is really only, only really a difference of degrees. It's the same solution, you might say. John goes so far as to say that hatred is murder. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. A person who hates shows that he does not have eternal life in him, shows that he is not a Christian and does not have the spirit of God. That's familiar, for that's what the Lord Jesus said as well. That he considers anger to be murder. To be angry with someone and to have no desire of of reconciling. No desire of of a good relationship. The Lord Jesus says, you have heard it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. That's the litmus test of love. Where there's no love, there's hatred, which is murder, which is the work of the devil. If there's no love, there's no life. So that's the, the one result of the litmus test. But what about the other one? What does love look like? And in our second point, we'll see how the litmus test then points us to Christ's work. So you know what hatred looks like? He has an example that's that's Cain. Well, you want to know what love looks like? For a clear example of love, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's it. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The Lord Jesus who... Inhabited the glory of heaven, perfection with the father was, was willing to come down to this earth and to become a man. Was willing to be poor, to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be hurt, and finally to be killed all for his brothers. Cain took the life of his brother. Christ gave his life for his brothers didn't just happen to him, but he willingly chose to do that. He voluntarily laid down his life. He said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You want to see what love is. Love is a willingness to sacrifice oneself for someone else. That's what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. So the litmus test, it points us to Jesus Christ. It points us to Christ who was willing to to give up everything for us. That in Christ, all our sins, all our weaknesses, all the ugliness of our life is, is washed away, and we have a new life. He washes away our hatred and anger, to make us new people. The Lord did this. He sacrificed himself for us, not because we are so worthy either, not because we deserved for him to do that. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5 says the following, you see, at just the right time, when we are still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we are still sinners. Christ died for us, while we are still sinners. Christ gave it all up for us, so that we, we would not have to be punished for our sins. So that we would not have to suffer eternal death. So that we would pass from death to life. That's the message of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. And when we hear that, and when we believe that, then that changes your life. The Spirit works in your heart. So that you believe and that you're, you're saved. So that you begin to love as Christ loved, as Christ loved. So John says the following. He says, we know we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. That's how we know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Because we see that that Christ is at work in our lives. Because we see that desire to, like Christ, sacrifice our own interests for someone else. That's how we know. Christ is working in us by His Spirit. We know we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Our Heidegger Catechism in Lord's Day 32 says something similar. In Lord's Day 32, we ask the question, well, why should we do good works? Why should we do good things for other people? We know we're saved by grace. We know it's none of our own merits. It's all Christ. Why, Why do good works? And the answer is because God is working in your life by his Spirit. It says, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us, makes us new, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life, we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits. It says, further, so that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits. A tree is known by its fruits. When we see the fruits of Christ working in our life, then we know that we're his children. John says that this is the command, love one another. He says, see the work of Christ in your life. You see, the Christians to whom John was writing, they had doubts about that there had been people who had been telling them, look, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. People who had been leading them to, to even doubt that they had the Spirit of God. You read that in chapter 2, verse 26, people who led them to doubt whether they themselves had the Spirit. And so John, in this passage, very plainly sets it straight. says, honestly, a tree is known by its fruits. Where there's no love, there's no life. If you don't love your brothers, anyone who doesn't love remains in death. But look at Christ's work. Christ who died for you so that you may live. So that now you love. Christ himself said, I tell you the truth, whoever believes my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He is crossed over from death to life. So you believe in God. You believe that the Spirit is now at work in your heart, making you a new person. John says this not simply to to puff people up, not to make them be proud, but simply to point them to Christ's work in their life to give them assurance of their faith so that they knew that they did have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that they were spiritually alive. Were these people perfect? Well, sure not. Actually, earlier in this letter, John makes very clear. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So these people were not perfect people. But where there is faith, where there is forgiveness, the Spirit is working. And you can see that. You can see that. You can see that in sacrificial acts of love toward other people. Brothers and sisters, you can see that here, right? You can see that in your life. You can see that in the lives of the brothers and sisters around you. The office bears, when they come to visit your homes, they can, they can see that. A willingness to, to give up your own things and to, to serve someone else. So you can know that you've passed from death to life. And being confident about that that stimulates you to sincere work. And that's our final point. How the litmus test of love stimulates us to sincere work. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Earlier this month with Remembrance Day, we had an opportunity to reflect on that in a a fairly practical way, how many men and women actually literally gave up their own life to serve their brothers in the first and second world war. In the second world war, you had the, the aggressive Nazi regime in Germany. Adolf Hitler's goal, which was to, to set up a, a regime that would last a thousand years to dominate the world, to do that through a series of cruel concentration camps and death camps, at that time, many soldiers also, our fellow countrymen in Canada, answered the call to to fight for freedom. And many gave up their own lives for their brothers. Now, when you reflected on that, as we do, we like to think that we also would be willing, willing to make such a sacrifice. That if it came to that, we would be willing to rise to the occasion And lay down our life for our brothers. What a noble, courageous thing to do. And yet, directly after the Holy Spirit says that, He brings it, He brings it right down to a very practical, everyday example. In case our minds are are overcome with the sound of the beating of the drums and the the playing of the last post. The Holy Spirit brings it right down to to every day. He says in verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? What is sincere love? Sincere love is to use your life to serve others. It is to live for each other. That's what the Lord calls you to do, congregation, to live. To live for one another. And the Holy Spirit gives us in this text a fairly down-to-earth example. A fairly prosaic, everyday thing. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? That's the attitude of self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice isn't simply being willing to die for someone else, but being willing to live, to live for someone else, to give up something of oneself for our brother. So your life can't be dedicated to pursuing only your own ambitions and dreams. Your life simply can't be dedicated to your own family and your own immediate needs and and circle of friends. Your life can't be dedicated to to making progress and getting ahead yourself. Now we need to look out and see the needs of a brother or a sister. If you look closely at our text, you see a very interesting feature here. How when he talks about brothers, it goes from a plural, brothers, to a singular, brother. He says, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need. So he says, don't just think about people in general, about, about brothers. But think about individuals. Because in some ways it's so easy for us to say, yeah, of course I love people. Of course I love God's people. Of course I'm willing to, to serve. It's in a way easy to love people in general. But the Holy Spirit says, think about your brother. Think about someone in particular. How do you love him? Your brother who is not always as lovable. Just like you are not always as lovable. How do you love Him? To be specific. Specific in how we love. Now, you or I may not at any point be required to give up our life for the greater good. But we are required to give up time to give up energy, to give up opportunities, to give up money, to give up holidays, to give things up to, to be a person who serves and lays down his life for his brother. Now that's a very, a very high standard that this text gives, is it not? A very high standard. We also know that being a doormat for someone else Is not actually helping them. We also know that throwing money at any and every cause is not helpful either. We also know that working so hard that you have a nervous breakdown in the end isn't helpful for anyone either. The Bible, the Bible gives us a lot of wisdom on how we serve and how we work and how we help others. But the principle, the principle is the same. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Our text gives one example. It gives a financial example. And that's a good example. The Lord says wherever our our treasure is, that's where our heart is. The things that we spend our money on, our homes, our vehicles, our work, those are things that are important to us. So the things we spend our money on is a good barometer of, of where our heart is. But this text doesn't want to restrict it to that, obviously. But wants us to see our brother. To see the needs of someone else. Who is lonely and could use a friend? Who is discouraged and could use a listening ear? Who could use a practical help? How can you help another Christian become more content with their life? How can you help a classmate at school struggling to fit in? How can you warn someone who's walking on a path that that is not leading them to a good place? Warn them to to turn back. How can you help a brother or a sister grow to have a, a more stable, joyful marriage? The text asks you to see your brother, to have compassion and to help. John F. Kennedy famously spoke to the American people in this way. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's the same for Christians, isn't it? Living for one another, it means not thinking, how am I being served here? But how am I serving? It means not first asking, what am I going to get out if I if I go there? But it means asking, how can I help? How can I give? It means not asking first, how are people treating me? But how am I treating others? And then doing it. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. The proof, they say, is in the pudding. Do we love? Is it real? Does it show in in actions? For Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, didn't just think nice thoughts about you from heaven. Our Lord didn't just say nice things to us from heaven, but he came down to this earth. He came down to this earth even when we did not deserve it. Actually, especially because we didn't deserve it. He laid down his life for us and calls us to lay down our life for each other. That's a litmus test of love. And it asks you to examine your life, to get rid of hatred and anger to recognize that that's, that's the work of the devil. Where there's no love, there is no life. But it asks us to see, to see how he is making you a new people, to recognize the spirit of Christ and his work in your life, how he's making you a new person, to love as he loved, to sacrifice as he sacrificed, to make you into a person who lives, for others. For this is a message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.